Amen. All right, check this out. You ready for this one, Bobby? Okay, he's ready, folks. And he started out, this guy, he started out as your typical teenager, right? And so as teenagers, you kind of go through that phase, and, and, and you're kind of questioning, wondering about the existence of God, and this is where this guy was at at the time. And, and so he decided to take matters into his own hands. And so true story, one Sunday morning, he decides, you know what, I'm going to go to a church service and see if I can figure this out. And he does. But the problem was, due to a snowstorm, he couldn't go to the church service he wanted to go to, okay? So he had to go to another smaller one in the area, but it just so happened, key phrase there, it just so happened, right, that the pastor of that church didn't show up because of an illness, so a layman uh, took the pulpit and he began to preach. And it just so happened that the layman, he began to preach on Isaiah 45, verse 22, which said, look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. In fact, it just so happens, he simply stuck to that text for the simple reason he had little else to say. And then it just so happened that this layman, for some reason, fixed his eyes on the guy, okay, for some reason, the teenager, he never saw before, and he simply said this, young man, you look very miserable. Not you, Rick, it's somebody else, okay? And you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death, if you don't obey this text. But if you obey now, the, this moment, you will be saved. The man, the teenager got saved right then and there. And it didn't take long for, to see the fruit of his salvation. Listen, he began to pass out tracts and then later witnessed to people about Jesus. Then he began to teach a Sunday school class and soon he preached his first sermon at the age of 16, leaving people utterly amazed at how a teenager, listen, could not only preach the word of God, but preach the word of God with power. Then when he was 17, uh, he became the pastor of that church. Okay, at 17. And, and even though the church began with only 100 people, it soon grew to 10,000 people. And in addition to his regular weekly pastoral duties, okay, he founded more Sunday schools, uh, more churches, an orphanage, a Christian college. He edited a monthly church magazine. He promoted literature distribution. He published more than 3,500 sermons, 63 volumes of Christian material that stands as the largest set of books by a single Christian author in the history of Christianity. And his name, of course, was Charles Spurgeon. Bobby, after the service, come get me. You're going to get some gum. That's right. You get your <laughs> Can you believe that? I finally got one guy after how many? 20 some studies, right? You guys are. Give it up for the interns. They're making progress. You got one out of 40. Woo! Yeah, I feel enthused. But anyway, that's right. But how many guys would say Charles Spurgeon? Wow! That's not just a cool story. That's a life we're living for, right? I mean, that's how we all want to be as Christians. Jesus saved me. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful, man. Use me, God, right? But what's the problem? We've been seeing our study. Hey, here's what's going on. Even though God's the same God, right? Same yesterday, same forever. And we're just as much as children as Charles Spurgeon was, right? What's going on? Most of us as Christians, we read the Bible in one hand. We take a look at our life in the other, and we're going, man, what's going on here? There's a serious disconnect. It's not, it's not matching up. How come these people like Charles Spurgeon get to have this amazing walk with Jesus? And here I am fumbling around the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a, I got a life worth giving up. You ever been there as a Christian? Folks, once again, this is the great news. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life, a life worth living for, like Charles Spurgeon had, is available to every single Christian. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Even Dave. Hi, Dave. Just here for you. That's right. <laughs> and that's why we're going to continue our study, a life worth living for. Now, if you've been with us, you already know kind of the premise. What we're doing is taking a look at different keys that I believe are pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ like Charles Spurgeon had. We saw the first key was experiencing God's joy. Why? Because number one, he's already given it to us. It's for free. How many of you guys like free stuff? Hey, this is way better than Walmart. It's called God's joy. Right? Now, it's not just for us. He says the reason why he gives us that is because it's a great witness, right? 
That's, we're in the last days. What are you supposed to do? Be a joyful example in a joyless world. It's awesome. Then we saw the next 16 times, the second key was experiencing God's peace. He's not only giving us his joy, it's a wonderful two-bang punch. He also gives us his peace. Why? So now we can get out there and be a joyful example in a joyless world, but also a peaceful example in a peaceless world. And people are going, whoa, I got to have what you got. And we lead them to Jesus, right? All a gift from God on top of our salvation, okay? Then the last two times we saw the third key was experiencing God's worship. And what we're talking about is not just singing songs, okay? It's with your life, okay? And specifically with your mouth. And, 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 and when we experience true worship, daily worship from God, a life that is basically thankful and grateful, and you don't just have it in your head, it's coming out of your mouth. It's your life. I'm a worshiper of Jesus with your mouth. Okay, that's a powerful witness to the lost. Certainly not the antithesis of that is what we've been seeing, and that is a crybaby, whiny, complaining mouth, right? And the reason why is because, hello, that's common sense, right? That's not a very good witness for Jesus, right? I mean, you're witness to somebody at work or wherever, and hey, hey, come to Jesus, he's so awesome. I've, I'm so satisfied. You can be satisfied too. You can be so fulfilled. And what are you doing? Five seconds later, I can't believe it. They did this, I can't. Did you see what they did? Not a good witness. Right? And you know what the world says? I've been there. I've been there. Remember that as a non-Christian? You're watching Christians, whether Christians realize it or not. And on the one hand, you say, oh, Jesus, he's so wonderful. Five seconds later, you're whining, complaining like the rest of the world. You know what the world does? You know what I used to think? Hey, Jesus ain't working for you. He won't work for me. Next. That's not the kind of life that we need to live if we're going to lead people to Jesus in these last days. So we took a look at the harmful effects of complaining. Isn't this the greatest sermon? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it, at least for a couple more weeks. Then you, anyway, whatever. And we saw the first harmful effect of complaining, how it affects you. And then if you were here last time, the second one is it affects other people. Okay, it's a horrible infection that spreads. It's bad enough it'll destroy you, we saw the first time. Okay, it'll, it'll spread to other people. We saw it turns other people into an object to blame, right? You never take responsibility, so it locks you into a life of sin. Oh, it's not your fault. Okay, it's somebody else, right? But then that locks you into a life of sin. The second one we saw, it is a deadly infection. Okay, it leads other people to do the same. It's a bad enough that you're doing, and you got this horrible stuff coming out of your mouth, be it pus or maggots. Had to say it again. But now guess what? It spreads to other people. And now they've got the junk coming out of their mouth. And then it spreads to that person. They got a junk coming in their mouth. And not just with the home and a marriage and a family and a business, but even a church. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of don't want to go to a church that's got a bunch of maggots coming out of their mouth. Hi. Welcome to Sunrise. Right? Don't work too good. That's what we saw last week, okay? But now, let's go into the third harmful effect of complaining, and that's just kind of what we've been talking about. Why do we need to make sure we're not doing it and we're not infecting other people? Well, because the third effect, folks, is it affects the gospel. And see, that's exactly what our world does. Don't you remember this as a non-Christian? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Jesus is so wonderful. How come you're not satisfied? Right? And the reason why is because it gives a false representation of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be Christians, followers of Christ. Act, speak, live like Jesus. When you whine and complain all the time, that is not like Jesus. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is our opening text here. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at the attitude of Jesus, right? And we're Christians, followers of Christ, so we should follow him. What does he do? What does he say? Here's your example, right? And that's what we're going to see in this text. And believe it or not, it has a lot to do with what comes out of your mouth. 
okay, as well as your heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we'll read up to verse 15, and I think it's pretty apparent uh, we should not complain, period, okay, if we're going to be a good witness for Jesus. Here's it is. Verse 5 says this, your attitude should be the same as your best friend. Right, because you always got to follow the peer pressure. No, I know those Hollywood elites that you know, in, you know that everybody's so interested in the gossip. No, no I it's, who Christ Jesus. This is your attitude, okay? And, oh, and by the way, what was his attitude? We'll keep reading. Uh, uh, your attitude is the same as Jesus, who, in being a very nature God, he didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped. In fact, he made himself what? Nothing. Right? Selfless, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance uh, as a man, he humbled himself. In fact, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, what did God do? He exalted him to the highest place and gave him Jesus, the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, on, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there it is, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Here's the example of Jesus, therefore, at your context. My dear friends, Christians, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. In other words, I'm not there, I'm writing this letter to you. Okay, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, why? Because it is, listen to this, it is God who works in you. Do you get that? Notice he didn't say work for your salvation because it's not a works-based salvation. That's not salvation. But you need to understand that when you get saved is what he's saying. You are indwelled with the Holy Spirit who is God. So God is with you, Christian, wherever you go. And did you know that God has eyes and he has ears? Ooh, fear and trembling. Do you understand that? He's not on the backside of Pluto waiting to get an email to find out what we're up to. He's with us wherever we go. He hears it all. So work it out with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Therefore, since he's listening and hearing everything, what do you do? And your attitude is to be the same as Jesus. Do how much? everything what do everything without complaining or arguing why because it affects your witness right so that you may become blameless and pure children of god without fault in a crooked and depraved generation listen in which you shine not wine like stars in the universe so right here in our text folks it's i think it's pretty clear we are supposed to be the having the same attitude as jesus right Okay, now the reason why is because it affects our witness. Now, before I get into that, let me give you a little history lesson. Okay, okay. Uh, how many of you guys like history? Praise God, all three of you. The rest of you have to drink some coffee. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but did you know in history, okay, uh, they didn't have TV, you know, forever, kids? Did you realize that back there? Right? They didn't have cell phones, they didn't have billboards, they didn't have uh, advertising campaigns, they didn't have nothing of that stuff. So, you're a business owner, what do you do? How do you get the word out? What do you do? Well, listen to this. In history, people did certain things in the public arena to let other people know what they did for a living so in case they needed to contact them for service. Right? They didn't have a telephone book, none of that stuff. So listen to this. A person would put a wood chip, they walk around the public eye, and they put a wood chip behind their ear to let people know, oh, that guy's a carpenter. Right? In fact, you know it's a little tradition with a carpenter today, they still stick a pencil behind their ear, right? Uh, you kind of see that kind of similarity that's going on. A person would walk out in public and they'd have a, just a, a giant needle uh, stuck in their uh, tunic, 
Okay, and that would let people know that they were a tailor because back then there was no such thing as Walmart. Believe there, did you know there was life before Walmart, right? Uh, and basically, you didn't go keep buying stuff. You kept the same outfit for a long time because it was expensive, hard to get, right? And so if you had a rip in something, you repaired it, okay? And so people would see that needle and they would say, oh, look, that guy fixed clothing. I think I'll go uh, and get his services. Another person would wear colored rags on the outside of their outfit, Okay, different colors, so that people would know that he's a, uh, that person's a dyer of clothing, because again, you kept that same outfit, but you know, you got to change the outfit at least once every five years, so they would just dye it a different color. <laughs> how do you like my new outfit? Right? Okay, but that's how it was. Okay, now listen, I said all that to get to this. They, certain things they did to identify in the public arena who they were. According to our text, folks, Philippians cha uh, chapter 2, what mark, outside, what mark should distinguish you and I in the uh, public arena that we are being a true representation of Jesus Christ. What do you say there? We are to do some things. No, we are to do everything without complaining or arguing. Because you keep on complaining, what's it usually lead to? Arguing. Right? So if you want to walk around and let people, one of the surefire ways you can say, whoa, look at that, that's a Christian. Not because you got a bumper sticker saying, I'm a Christian. It's because every day, there's one thing always absent from your conversation. This person never whines. They don't grumble. They, they do everything, everything, without complaining or arguing. Can I have that? Profound witness. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. We need to be shining in the midst of this dark and dying uh, world, not whining like the rest of the world. Right? We need to be good examples for Jesus. Do everything without complaining. Otherwise, we're given a false representation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me translate that word for you, false representation. Did you know the Bible has another word for that? You ready? It's called hypocrite. That's down south. Up here in Vegas, it's called hypocrite. Did you know that? Hypocrite? Say one thing, you do another. Okay? And, uh, and believe it or not, folks, if there's one thing, I don't know if you remember this, as a non-Christian, there's one thing this world hates. Okay? Absolutely detests. And that's not just a hypocrite. It's a hypocrite in the church. Oh, right? And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why. Because again, I remember doing this. I'm watching Christians. Is this Jesus thing real? Is Christians real? Does it really pay off? Right? You say, oh, he's great. Jesus is wonderful. He's awesome. I'm so satisfied. Next minute. You got something else coming out of your mouth. Okay? Like this girl. She's being a hypocrite with her mouth. Now, we saw this a while back, but I can't find a better example. So I'm going to share it again. This is... Hypocrisy with the mouth in action. Let's take a look. Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down, and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked a brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh-huh. Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, 
and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can feel it. How many guys would say that, world's be, that, that girl's being a hypocrite with her words? I mean, what was she doing there, man? It's, 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 it's so obtuse, we laugh about it. I mean, on the one hand, she's preaching the word of God, right? I'm being the shining example of the Christian. Next thing you know, bleh, she's cussing like a sailor. Okay. Folks, aren't we doing the same thing when we whine and complain all the time? But see, here's the game we would play. Oh, but it's not cussing. Oh, we all know, no, don't you use profanity, cussing, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. But listen, do you realize that according to the scripture, it's just as bad of a witness, it's just as duplicit, it's another form of a potty mouth. Yeah, you won't cuss like a sailor, but you don't even think of, in front of a non-Christian. And this whole time, deep down inside, they're going, man, there's got to be more to life. I'm scared to talk to you about it. Because that's the bravado. We don't want nobody to know that we're really vulnerable. Because that's the game that we play. We put the mask on. We act like, yeah, we got it all together. Life's good. I'm cool. Right? Deep down inside, there's a hole in your heart. And you come across that Christian, and you so want it to be true. And they'll tell you about Jesus, but five seconds later, and that's what you're doing. That's what we're doing. We can't do it. And it's this duplicity that James says in the scripture, are you kidding, Christian? What are you doing? Don't do this. This is, this is impossible. It should be consistent. Your mouth should only bring forth that which is good. And this is what he says, uh, James chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. And the, once again, J.B. Phillips, he says this, we use the tongue to bless our Lord and Father, and we use the same tongue to what? To curse our fellow men who are all created in God's likeness? Blessings and cursings coming out of the same mouth? What? Surely, my brothers, this is the sort of thing that ought, what? Never to happen. What are you doing? Right? Have you, in fact, have, this is crazy. This is not natural. H have you ever known a spring to give sweet and bitter water from the same source? What's the answer? No. Have, have you ever seen a fig tree with a crop of olives on it? No, of course not. Or how about figs growing on the vine? No, it doesn't work that way. It's just as impossible, he says, for salt water to produce fresh. You can't live like that with your mouth. That's why he goes later on and says that the mouth, the tongue, the, he uses some, have you ever read that passage? Some serious, harsh words. He says it's like something set on fire from hell. And he's not talking about spicy food. <sighs> this thing could bring forth really good stuff. Next thing you know, you got, mm, wow. And folks, this is what the scripture is saying. Listen, you might be able to fool me. We can certainly fool each other. But we cannot fool God. It is God who works in us. And he's watching and he's hearing everything every day. We'll end our time in prayer. Oh, I'm a worshiper of Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'm so thankful and grateful. And five seconds later, as if God went on a vacation. Now, the problem is being a hypocrite doesn't just damage us. And it's not only an individual bad witness, but see, there's a, a bad side effect. Hypocrisy goes on and on and on. It affects a whole bunch of people, like it did for this boy growing up. His dad was a hypocrite. Years ago in Germany, there was this young Jewish boy, 
He had a profound sense of admiration for his father, especially when it came to the life of their family was centered around the Jewish tradition. And his dad was a stickler for it. No, this is what we're going to do. And so he admired his dad for that. And, and, and their whole family was centered around the acts of piety and devotion prescribed by their religion. And the father was zealous in attending worship and instruction, and he demanded the same from his kids. But while the boy was a teenager, the family was forced to move to another town in Germany. And in the new location, there was no Jewish synagogue. And the pillars of the community all belonged to the Lutheran church. So suddenly, the father announced to the family, came home one day, and they said, that's it, we're done with the Jewish synagogue. We're all going to abandon the Jewish traditions, and we're going to join the Lutheran church. And they, well, he got saved, praise God. No. When the family totally stunned, asked him why, listen, he said, it was good for business. True story. So the youngster, he's bewildered, he's confused, and his deep disappointment soon gave way to anger and an intense bitterness that plagued him throughout the rest of his life. So he left Germany and went to England to study. And soon he sat daily in the British Museum, formulating his ideas and then composing a book and a whole new way of life. And in that book, he introduced a whole new way of life that conceived of a moment that was designed. He was going to change the world from this baloney. And in that book, he described religion as opiate for the masses. It's a bunch of baloney hypocrisy. And today, there are billions of people who live under this system invented by this embittered man from his dad's hypocrisy. The man's name, of course, is Karl Marx. What he invented was called communism. And it all started with one hypocritical example. His dad. Wow. Here comes the stinger. I've even thought of this myself. and said, oh God, please forgive me. As a Christian, how many people have been driven into the horrible clutches of communism when they go over and they take over an area? And they're just forced to go into it. Whole countries, all people. They've been forced to go into the clutches of communism, okay? How many millions of people have died as a result of that belief system? How many people have we driven away from Jesus Christ with our constant barrage of sending them the hypocritical message? Oh, he's great, he's wonderful, come to Jesus. Can I translate that for you? He doesn't work. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to take care of me. Don't waste your time. It's just opiate for the masses. All because we didn't worship God with our mouth. Wow. We need to be the same as Jesus Christ. Our attitude needs to be the same as him. Oh, did you know that when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't want to complain? He became obedient unto death. We need to do the same. We're going to go through hard times. But sometimes it's just best to keep your mouth shut. And praise God. Don't be a bad witness. Amen? The second way that complaining affects the gospel is it follows the way of the world. It's not only that we're given a false representation of Jesus Christ. Now we're looking just like the world. Right? And let's take a look at what Jesus said here in the uh, book of John. This is his uh, wonderful priestly prayer for you and I, even you and I today. And he's interceding for us, yes, today, 2,000 years later. And listen to what he says, not just once but twice, about who we are. He says this, I'm coming to you, Jesus, God the Son, is speaking to 
on the Father. I'm now coming to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, God, and the world has hated them, for they are what? We are not of this world any more than I, Jesus, am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says it again, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Now, a general rule in Scripture is anything that's repeated more than once is there for emphasis. It's all good, but if it's more than once, it's for emphasis. And the Scripture is clear. Jesus speaking, he says, we Christian are not of this world, right? Did Jesus come here, and he's here now, and he's been here the whole time, and he's just got a job, and he's doing all the worldly things, and he's driving a car? He's not of this world, right? He's, of the, he's gonna bring the world to come. He's coming back again. He's gonna set up the millennial kingdom. It's not here. He's not of this world. He's at the right hand of the Father. He says, Christian, neither are you. We are not of this world. What's the scripture say? We are aliens. We are foreigners. We are strangers living in a strange land. This is a temporary camping trip. We're, we're living for the world to come. This is not our home. I don't know about you, but how many guys camping after about the third day? And I mean real camping, not the stuff that comes with like all the washer and dryer and go down the store and go to the restaurant. I'm talking real camping. You got no electricity and we'll just skip the bathroom thing and you're eating hot dogs and the second day you got tree sap stuck all over you. It's on your face and you're saying, man, oh, I'm glad the cell phone don't work because I might probably put that on Facebook. I never live it down. And you're looking like this uh, Sasquatch part two, you know, and you just can't wait to get home, take a shower and scrub that stuff. Oh, no, it feels so good, doesn't it? Did you know our time here on earth is like that? Don't, what are you doing going, oh, look, tree sap, yeah, oh, look, burn hot dogs again, yeah, my life is good. We are not of this world. G Jesus saved us for heaven. He's coming back, he's gonna do the million kingdom, it's gonna be awesome, peace on earth, uh, even with peace with nature, and it's, it's, wow. That's where our mindset's supposed to be, as Paul says, keep your mind on things above and on this earth, but listen, that's how our mouths should reflect it. And so when something goes wrong on this camping trip, Oh, I can't believe a burnt hot dog again. <laughs> Listen, this is just temporary. We're getting steaks soon enough. Right? We're not of this world. So our lives and our words should back that up. And that's the witness to the lost. Listen, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm here with this Jew on this temporary camping trip. But if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You get out of this tent. And you go to a really awesome place. That's what we're talking about. That's how our mouth should reflect it. Okay, we're not of this world. Now, the problem is, if you look at most Christians today, that's not what we're doing. We're whining, complaining. I mean, I, in fact, we're whining, complaining at the slightest little infraction. In fact, I think it's now a form of uh, a normal way of conversation. And, and let me give you the acid test. In fact, try this tomorrow, Lord willing, when you go to work. Case in point, Monday mornings, okay, I, I, I quiz you. When you get to work, 99.999% of the conversation that everybody at work, when you first get there, before you even clock in, is what? It's complaints, right? Oh, you won't believe what happened to me over this weekend. Oh, I did this and this and that. I can't believe, oh, dude, or on the way to work today, somebody tried to drive me home. Okay, let's start work. Right? What's the mode of conversation? The first thing. And we get caught up into it. Right? At lunchtime, what do you say? Oh, how's your day going? Oh, it's going horrible. Right? And then you go home. You're, you're driving the car. You turn on talk radio. What are they talking about? 
life is wonderful, life is great. No, you can't. So then you get home. Oh, how's your day, honey? Oh, it's horrible. And then we have the audacity. Oh, God, thank you for today. It was so wonderful. <laughs> you get up the next day. What do you do? You do it all over again. You go back to work. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, yeah, did you see that last night on TV? We whine about the weather. We whine about everything you can think of. You name it. Uh, what's on the TV? We whine about sports. We whine about uh, breath, politics, flies. Ah! That's a worldly person. That defines somebody who, guess what? This is all there is. But Jesus says, you're not of this world, Christian. Don't you ever forget that. And not just in your head, but if you really believe it, it'll come out of your mouth. Yeah, I know it's bad here. Yeah, I know that's, that's what happened. But, but did you know that in heaven, there's no such thing as credit card debt? That'll change the conversation around pretty good. Hey, did you know in heaven, uh, there's no such thing as a bad day or a bad relationship or a bad life or a bad experience? Did, did you know that heaven is so fantastic that it's eternal joy, it, it's paradise? Do you know that the pavement in heaven is, it's not asphalt, it's gold. God's got so much of it, we walk on it. Don't you want to go there? Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better of a witness? Then, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh. But see, we get caught up. It's the norm, right? But that's not a good witness. That defines a worldly person. Again, what's the scripture say? We are to shine, not whine, in this dark, dying world, okay? And you think about it. I mean, where, where is the, the great uh, Christians of old gone? Where's the Patrick Henry's of old? I mean, look death square in the face. You go, give me liberty or give me death. And what do we got? Hey, I hope this doesn't happen, but right after service today, you'll end up at McDonald's going, hey, give me hot french fries or I'll tell the manager. Oh yeah, they're coming to Jesus for lickety split right there. What has happened to us? We get sucked into this world. And Jesus says, don't do it, Christian. Don't, don't follow the world. Don't, don't. Listen, this is temporary. Don't get, you're not of this world. And I need you to reflect that with your mouth. Because this world doesn't know. And you're my mouthpieces. Now, I only have time in closing to share with you one practical. How do you bust out of that? Because that's a horrible thing, right? You, get, you don't even realize you're doing it. It's just norm. That's just what you do. The first, the first and only time I got, listen, it, you need to put it in perspective, right? Because you think you got a bad, oh, it ran me off the road. Oh, I got cold french fries. Oh. <laughs> what? We have no reason to whine and complain. Are you kidding? Especially here in America. You need to put it in perspective. And that'll keep your mouth shut real quick. In fact, this is what Paul says this, okay? He says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18. Be joyful whenever things go your way. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Always. Hey, pray whenever you get around to it, if you don't fall asleep. No, I'm sorry, continually. I give thanks in those circumstances that you truly appreciate. No, all circumstances. Well, why do I got to do that? Because Christian, you're supposed to follow the what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine running across somebody who all the time, they not only didn't complain, they didn't argue, but they were full of joy. You have a need, hey, let's pray about it. They were thankful and grateful. I mean, what would you do? Can I have that? 
right? And how many times I've heard it say from people who get saved or young Christians, they'll say, there, Pastor Billy, I just, I just, if only I knew God's will. If only I knew what he wanted me to do. What did he say to me? Hey, start there. That'll keep you busy. <laughs> you master that, and I bet you he'll lead you where the, the specific you're really asking for will come. You just get busy being joyful always, continually praying, and always giving thanks. You knock that baby down, then maybe I'll cut you loose on some other real ministry. But I need you to get that taken care of, okay? Now, lest you think this is mission impossible, if God wrote it in his word, guess what that means? It is possible. Okay? All things are possible with God. He dwells within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it can happen. But sometimes, I'm telling you folks, it's a matter of putting things into perspective. You think it's bad? You think you got it bad? How dare we, myself included, any of us? And I've had some high times, and I've had some serious low times, especially growing up. But listen, none of it was compared to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing around the world. Watch how this Christian family is living as we sit here. Let's take a look. This story, you won't claim this truth. 
I just keep thinking of that dad, just thinking as a father, and you're trying to provide for your family. And that's a brother in Christ. And all he could do was scrounge up some trash. And it ain't just because it's chicken. But did you see the attitude of his family? That little boy was excited, he got noodles. But before we eat this trash, let's give God thanks. Let's be joyful, always. Let's pray continually and let's give him thanks. And we have the audacity to whine about anything. If I was a non-Christian and I went to that family's house, I would want to accept Jesus right then and there. How could you live like this? And yet we here in America, do you realize how easy we have it? We should be the most joyful Christians on the planet. We should be the biggest prayer warriors there ever was. We should be giving God thanks, skipping nothing could get us down because we're not living like that. But let's put it more in perspective. That's just our fellow brothers and sisters eating trash. Does studying annoy you? Oh, I'm sick and tired of doing schoolwork. This computer just always freezes up on me. Whatever. Did you realize these guys, if they could even do school, what they're doing right there, I don't know if you can see it, they're doing their homework in the dirt. They don't even have paper. Right? They're grateful for that. Are you sick and tired of those veggies? Oh, not veggies again. They'd like to have your veggies. They're dying. They don't have any veggies. They don't have nothing. Oh, not another diet. Are you serious? I can't believe it. Why? I just, I can put up. They're dying from it. They have no food. Can you believe that? Oh, I'm sick and tired of my parents. They're always nitpicking on me. They're always wanting to take care of me, make sure I'm dressed right, make sure I eat good. Oh, yeah, I'm sick and tired of it. These guys don't have parents. And they're clinging to each other for life. This is happening while we're sitting here. Oh, I'm so tired of this game. I got 5,000 of them. And I tell you what, I just need a new one. I need another game. This baby is playing in the dirt with a human skull. That's his game. Excuse me? Oh, they got me Adidas, not Nikes. I wanted those Nikes. I got it. They're over there. They're making shoes out of two-liter pop bottles with cloth. And they're grateful. 
And finally, oh, I'm, this bed, this pillow is so hard. I need a new mattress. I can't take anything. These guys are wishing they wouldn't even wake up. Because if they wake up again, they're going to have to do it all over again. Folks, we got problems. But we ain't got nothing like that. You put it into perspective. And you know what? This is one of the easiest commands, one of the will of God that we should be able to follow every single day. Be joyful, always. Pray continually. Give thanks. Because our life is so good. Our life is so good. And the problem is, again, it doesn't just affect you. It really does affect your witness. True story. There's a Christian baroness living in the highlands of Nairobi, Kenya. And she was told of a young national uh, there. And she employed him as her houseboy, take care of her house. And after about three months, he was asked, he asked the baroness to give him a letter of reference to a a Muslim sheik uh, some miles away. Well, the Christian, not wishing that the houseboy would leave, just when he learned the routine of the household, she offered to increase his pay. But listen to this true story. He told her that he wasn't leaving for higher pay. Rather, he had decided in his life, right then and there, he was going to become a Christian or he was going to become a Muslim. And this is why he had come to work for the baroness for three months. He had wished to see how the Christians acted. Now he wanted to work for the Muslim sheik to observe the ways of the Muslims. And then after that, he would decide which way he would follow. But at this, the Christian baroness was stunned because she recalled her many bouts of complaining and whining and the blemishes she had in her dealings with that houseboy. And she could only exclaim to him, why didn't you tell me at the beginning? Why didn't you tell me? You got no excuse. God told you at the beginning of Philippians nearly 2,000 years ago. Did you really need another reminder? We are to shine in this dark and dying world. Our attitude needs to be the same as Jesus Christ. How? By doing everything without complaining or arguing. That's the mark that people are waiting to see. But she found out too late the harmful effects of complaining. It affects the gospel. Did you realize this? Did you know that the people we meet every day, a bulk of them will not ever step foot in a church service? Did you realize that you and I may be the only Christians they will ever see? Did you know that we are, listen, we are the only worship service they may ever hear? What kind of worship service is it? Now, fortunately, in closing, I was, in order to make sure that we're all got a proper attitude, even in hard times, to be those positive witnesses, I was able to find some people here at Sunrise who had good attitudes. Good attitudes, John, even in the midst of some hard times. And we're going to start off with Ken. I know that's a surprise, okay? But if you guys know Ken, apparently we saw the last couple of weeks, ever since he's come here, he, he's just got a big old head, right? His head done swelled up and his eyes bugged out and stuff like that, okay? In fact, apparently he was at Lake Mead the other day and his head got so big that it done fell off, okay? And if you can see his uh, uh, countenance there, he, he's got a good attitude about it. I, I'm a witness. I'm a witness for Jesus. I got to smile. I got to be thankful and grateful. And, and, and he certainly is. In fact, Ken, you know, he's out on the strip, you know, like what we should do as Christians, handing out tracks. Well, he found out just how hot it really gets here in Vegas, okay? But he's still got a good attitude, okay? 
He's melting a little bit. His New York blood can't really take it. But look at him. He's at, his attitude is great. He's positive. He's handing out tracks. You know what I'm saying? I'm not giving up for Jesus, right? Okay. Now, speaking of hot things, I don't know if you guys know Bill Wimberly, okay, is, uh, well, I'll just show you the picture. He's supposed to be the daddy of the patio, the grill master. You know what I'm saying right there? A little shot in action there. And I've been telling him for a long time, Bill, whatever you do, cook beef on there, pork. Okay. Just don't cook chicken. Don't cook chicken. Don't eat chicken, right? And oh, no, Pastor Billy, no, it's fine. It's pretty fine. Bill, I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. But sure enough, Bill ate it, and look what happened to him. He done swelled up there, right? And as you can tell, though, he's got a good attitude, though. He's, I'm going to the hospital. I'm waiting for the ambulance, but he's smiling or, or barfing. I'm not sure what he's getting ready to do, but I think he's smiling. Okay, it's what he's doing. But that's not all, because Ron Wagster was over there, okay? And it's a mystery. He's not here today. But Ron, and, and Ron, you know, because nobody's going to touch the chicken after what happened to Bill, right? You know what I'm saying? That's pretty obvious, right? So Ron said, I can't let this go to waste. I'll give this to my cat. No, Ron, don't do it. It's not good for humans or cats or animals, nothing. Don't give it to your cat. Ron gave it to his cat. Look what happened to it. It swelled up too, okay? But as you can see with Ron, he's got a great attitude, okay? I'm, somehow I'm going to be a witness for Jesus with my giant cat, okay? But, uh, but speaking of which, um, I don't know if you guys know this, hard times, okay, uh, Orson and Jeanette, Okay, you went for Orson and Jeanette. Uh, and when they go camping, when they go on their trips, they go fishing. And believe it or not, I'm sorry, Orson. Um, I heard last time they went uh, uh, fishing, uh, Jeanette caught more fish than Orson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was kind of, but you know what? Orson had a good attitude. He didn't want to complain. He says, you know, I'm going to do something about it. And he built himself a brand new uh, bass boat, as you can see here. And uh, now you're not going to be able to eat his fish. You can't eat his fish, okay? But he is never going to lose again. Okay, uh, in, fact, in fact, he's just re very resourceful. If you, Orson, he could build anything. In fact, he built a new riding lawnmower right here, as you can see here, and it's eco-friendly, hardly uses any gas. I mean, he's just awesome. And he loves Jeanette. In fact, one of the things that used to kind of bug him, but he fixed it, because that's what he does. Uh, Jeanette used to take forever going shopping, right? Okay, but he built her a new shopping cart. This baby's got, you know, uh, uh, a blower on it. She can get everything done in three minutes, man. You have to see her. Just get out of her way when she lights it up on the road. Okay, uh, but anyway, but Speaking of hard times, jobs, shopping. Hey, we all know that uh, Don Russell here uh, is a food inspector here in Vegas. Woohoo! Right, Don, give it for Don. Okay, and apparently he's getting these new Panda Express accounts, right, Don? I'm not making this up. Panda Express coming. Okay, and apparently they've got some new uh, things that you got to do. Don only has to inspect for food and germs and bugs and all that stuff, but apparently they're getting so stringent now that you actually have to inspect the employees whether or not their uh, deodorant is working, and, and you thought your job stinks, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, but, but look at Don. This is the point, guys. He's got a grateful attitude. Now, granted, his nose is about to melt off. <laughs> all right and, and but he's got a good attitude man it's good this guy what a witness man uh for jesus but one thing that i've learned folks is believe it or not being a good witness for jesus starts very young as you can see with john gibson here and his face dog wrinkles right and he just always just had apparently that beard ever since he's a baby and he's smiling for jesus but but in all seriousness folks it's pretty obvious when somebody has a positive attitude for jesus amen all kidding aside, right? We, we, it's just, it's just they're, 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 they're joyful, even in hard times. They pray. They're thankful. And being around people like that is what? It's awesome. And if you don't know Jesus, and you see that true substance in them, what do you want? Can I have the same thing? And you lead them to Jesus. That's a life worth living for. That's how we should be living in these last days, leading as many souls to Jesus as we can until we get to the other place. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. 
the Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. 
And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599.
or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com, or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.